yeah, you've got this pygmy hippo, it's quite rare, it's breathing very slowly, it's oozing all this gooey stuff from its skin, and it's a whole new experience. Yeah, often you'd, you know, work until dark and then drive half the night to get to the next property. It was pretty massive, you know, some days you'd be TB testing 2,000 head. Welcome to the RM Williams Outback Great Australians podcast. I'm Terry Cowley from RM Williams Outback magazine. I hope you enjoy hearing from the inspirational men and women who fairly leap from the pages of our new Great Australians publication. One such is Kimberley vet Dave Morell, who spent a lifetime servicing the Kimberley pastoral industry. This well-versed vet is also known for spinning a poetic yarn. Big thanks to Elders Insurance for sponsoring our podcast. At Elders Insurance, the agents are local and trusted members of the community who get to know you and your situation. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. We pay our respects to their culture and leaders, past, present and emerging. Veterinarian Dave Morell has spent a lifetime servicing the Kimberley pastoral industry since setting up shop as the town's only vet in 1978. Thanks for being part of the Great Australians podcast, Dave. That's fine, Terry. My pleasure. Dave, take me back to the mid-1980s when British property developer Lord Alastair McAlpine built a zoo at Cable Beach. Well, yeah, he was an enigmatic fellow. I, I met him playing an impromptu softball game north of Broome at Signet Bay. and He had a few animals and it looked like a sort of a Mickey Mouse zoo, but then he started to get more animals and I could see he was quite serious. Broome was probably at a population of eight to 10,000 then and it was becoming known as a tourist town. I went to see him and said, look, Lord McAlpine, I don't know a lot about these zoo animals, but if you give me a chance, I'll be an asset to you. He took that on board and he he sort of gave me an American Express card and sent me to America to sort of work in San Diego Zoo and San Diego Wild Animal Park, learn how they anaesthetised and darted and ways to treat these animals and I came back and yeah, I was his zoo vet. Tell me about the time you operated on a pygmy hippopotamus. I don't know why we had to knock that pygmy, I can't remember now. They're only about two foot six tall or something like that but they're very heavy and very solid and they've got no hair and when you anaesthetize them they only take a breath every sort of 30 seconds or so or 15 seconds you don't know if they're dead or alive and they've got a huge mouth and their teeth are like yeah i've described before as cut off broomsticks like they're really big and i think where they come from they actually kill a lot of people so yeah you've got this pygmy hippo it's quite rare it's breathing very slowly it's oozing all this gooey stuff from its skin and it's a whole new experience i bet Tell me about your early years on Goodlands and then later on Bohemia Downs. Well, Goodlands was a place in the wheat belt and Dad went to manage it when it was virgin country. It was when they started chain clearing country that had two big bulldozers and pull a huge chain between them and just knock down all the timber uh, and turn it into wheat country. Today, if we did that, people would be aghast, but that's what happened then. There was sandalwood and there was red-tailed black cockatoos and it was sort of on the marginal edge of the wheat belt area and they built a new house for mum and dad. And in those days, you know, we 
was no TV. We used to just listen to the radio. But I remember this house seemed like a mansion at the time. And I went back a few years later and, and saw it when it was all fallen and broken down. And it was probably just a neat little shack, actually. But yeah, Goodlands was a place where they grew lots of wheat and we ran some sheep, but it was mostly the wheat and they still grow wheat in that country today. I wrote a poem once when my memories first began and that's when I first sort of, yeah, my memories first began. I started going to school then, to Kalani School. I think my mum taught me for the first year on correspondence and I went to Kalani School. And then sometime after that, maybe when I was about nine, we moved to Bohemia, which is a station situated between Fitra Crossing and Halls Creek. And in those days, it was all Aboriginal stockmen and Aboriginal people and dirt roads and very primitive. The house was just like a big tin shed. Dad would go out mustering for weeks or months at a time with the Aboriginal stockmen. They'd carried everything on pack mules, food and whatever they needed. Mum and us kids stayed at home and we did correspondence. There was probably a hundred Aboriginal people that lived on the property and they'd take us for walks and show us about the bush. I could probably speak some rudimentary, it was probably Walma Jarry in those days. So you remember falling to sleep at night listening to the singing and sound of clap clap sticks and feet stomping on dirt? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. It was, well, I think they clapped the boomerangs together or they had sticks. And, and yeah, 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 sort of, that was what I remember is the sound of the singing. And yeah, it went on long into the night, probably was sitting around a fire singing traditional songs they'd sung for thousands of years. The family later moved to Louisa Downs and then to Halls Creek that, and Derby. That's correct, yep. Louisa was much the same as Bohemia, probably as a cattle property, it was probably a bit better. And then Dad became a stock inspector with the government. When we were in Halls Creek, I went to Halls Creek School for maybe my last year of primary school. Then he moved to Derby and subsequently Broome as a stock inspector with the government, yeah. Tell me about working at the Derby Wharf during your school holidays and what you saw there. Well, everything came up in ships in those days because the roads were still pretty rudimentary. They were dirt roads. So the state ships called in at least once a week to Derby, Broome, Wyndham, Port Headland, and that supplied all of the north with all of their food and goods for building, etc. And two of the main things that came off the ship were beer and cement. And as a kid, I suppose, 16, 17, I worked on the Derby and Broom Wharfs. But in Derby, there were a lot of big Aboriginal men because they were called lumpers. You're, you're carrying wooden crates of King Brown's big bottles of beer and you're carrying bags of cement and you'd load them into the sling and then the top hatch man would indicate to the crane operator to lift the sling and that'd be lifted up and then it'd be unloaded and another sling would come down and boy or a young man in amongst these blokes and they would be hiding bottles of beer and ripping the tops off and if you looked at them sideways they'd knock your block off so you just put your head down and, and worked as hard as you could. Fair enough. So in 1973 you headed for university to study vet science. Tell me about dabbling in hippie life. Well, I'd gone from the north to high school in northern and I didn't see my parents much. You know, we saw them twice a year. I say now I sort of became a product of the system and I tried to do everything right. I became the head boy at school and I tried to be the perfect little student. But when I got to university, I guess I discovered a freedom and I discovered marijuana and other things and different ways of looking at the world and grew my hair a bit. I had a beard. We decided to build a 40-foot catch, which we built in the front yard of the house. And also seeing some of the contradictions and parts of society that I'd never really thought of before. Yeah. 
they were great days in some ways. That I remember them fondly. So you completed your degree in 1975, took vet jobs in Northam, Albany and Esperance. But this 40-foot yacht you mentioned, it, it called you again, didn't it? Yes, I was a vet in Esperance and I'd been there about six months. And Helen, she wasn't my wife then, but we were living together. We both decided to go north and join our friends who had the yacht in Port Douglas. They had a block in Cape Tribulation. So we packed up the old yellow falcon and Esperance and headed north. Yeah, when we got to Broome, where I had lived as a kid, people said, oh, why don't you try Broome? You know, Broome needs a vet. We need a vet here. And I looked at Helen and she looked at me and I said, well, what do you reckon? We'll give it a go. And I think there was only two and a half thousand people in Broome then. So I said, well, if I can't make a living as a vet, I can always, you know, work on the wharf but then we had to find a place to live and someone offered us a caravan in the caravan park so soon after you arrived in Broome, the commonwealth government launched the btech program to rid the country of bovine tuberculosis and you were given a contract to service anna plains and christmas creek that must have had a big impact on your career well, yeah, prior to that, I was mostly doing the small animals in town and eking out an existence. But with BTEC, I became flat out because those properties are nearly 800 kilometres apart. And I was either at one one day or one the next day, just every day after work, I'd be driving 800 kilometres and then calling into Broome to fix up any of the animals Helen had lined up on the way through because Christmas Creek is the other side of Fitzroy Crossing and Anna Plains is 300k south of Broome. And that kept me busy for 20 years. At one stage, I had three other vets with me doing the TB testing. We'd test about 100,000 head a year, which meant that you had to handle 200,000 because when you do a TB test, you you give them an injection in the caudal fold of the tail. And then three days later, you have to go back and check to see if they've reacted to the injection. They react, they have a lump, and then we have to shoot them and do a post-mortem and check for tuberculosis. So during those 20 years, I think you've estimated that you travelled more than 3 million kilometres and you and your team inspected more than 2 million animals. That's massive. Yeah, yeah, it was was pretty big. We'd all be flat out for, say, nine months of the year. Often you'd you know, work until dark and then drive half the night to get to the next property. It was pretty massive. You know, some days you'd be TB testing 2,000 head. Other days you might only test 300 head. But if you TB test 2,000 head, that's a pretty big day. Looking for Australia's best range of full-size pickup trucks? Then you want a Ram truck. Get into your local Ram dealer for the best selection of powerful, capable and luxurious pickups all under one roof. With Australia's best range of full-size pickup trucks, Ram eats everything else for breakfast. Visit ramtrucks.com.au or see your Ram dealer today and get into a Hemi V8-powered Ram. Enough said. Tell me about the car accident you had during this period while travelling between Derby and Broome one night. Gee, you know more about me than me, Terry. I think I'd been up all night operating on a dog and I think the dog died, finally died in the morning. And every Wednesday for the last 40 years, we've done a clinic in Derby. I've got a little vet clinic there. So I had a vet student with me, actually, and we drove to Derby to do the clinic. And after the clinic, I think I called in at the pub and maybe had two beers. And it's about 220 k's from Derby to Broome. So we were driving back. Where I've had most of my accidents is hitting cattle at night. And I had the same old falcon and the lights weren't so good. And a beast galloped across the road and I thought I'd be able to dodge around it, but I couldn't. And I caught it with the bull bar and it bounced on top of the bonnet and smashed through the windscreen. 
And so I was just there with this vet student with glass in my eyes and he sat me down in front of the lights and pulled the glass out as much as he could. And we took off in the car, but it soon conked out going back towards Derby. So then we're walking along the road with him holding my hand and blood streaming down my face. We looked like a couple of drunken people that had been fighting. But eventually we, we got a lift to Willaire, I think, and then the uh, ambulance came out and they flew me to Perth and the Flying Doctor and I lost a lens in one eye, which was a a bit of adjusting too because you use your stereoscopic vision. But a couple of the stations, especially the manager at Anna Plains, he kept a lot of the work until I got back from hospital and then it was back to business as usual. The advent of the live export industry also had a big impact on your career. Yep, it has, yes. And it was interesting. I wrote a book once and in the book I describe how, like when I was a kid, it was all short on cattle and the, they were turned off as bullocks five six, four-year-old bullocks to go to the meatworks and and the meat was sent to America mostly for hamburger beef. But in my time here, that has slowly changed from shorthorn bullocks to Brahman and Brahman cross younger cattle, maybe 380 to 400 kilos down. And that was the live export. What happened was the when live export started, they were offering nearly double the money that the meatworks were. And so the meatworks really couldn't compete. So stations had to change their production systems to make this new demand of live export and live export took over and still takes most of the Kimberley and Territory beef and as I said most stations are their production systems geared for that live export market. What did that do for me? Well as the BTEC phased out that gave us a new source of income processing cattle to go for live export which means the female cattle had to be pregnancy tested because they can't travel if they're in calf and there's various treatments and protocols the cattle need depending on which country they're going to. So that yeah, the BTEC source of income was replaced by the live export source of income. And that continues to this day. There's about 100,000 cattle go out of broom each year. That might vary a few thousand. And we also do maybe 40,000 out of Perth. Live export has become a big deal. About 15 years ago, while driving south of Broome, you spotted cattle buyer Terry Fleming's car <laughs> on the side of the road. You've already alluded to the fact that you've written a book, but what happened after you saw Terry's car? <laughs> well, as a kid, I used to I memorise a lot of Banjo Patterson. You know, I'd love a bush christening and uh, the man from Ironbark and Mulga Bill's bicycle. So for some reason, I'm driving along and I saw Terry's car and I said, oh, I wonder what Terry's doing. Yeah, oh, Terry's gone a buying and, and we don't know where he are. First, he's gone to Mount Pierre, then onto Larua. And I sort of realised that this poem happening and, you know, you're driving four or five hours to get to property. And by the time I got back, I'd sort of had this fairly rudimentary poem together called the cattle buyer and I only just did it for the blokes at the yards and you know they enjoyed it and Terry obviously got a kick out of it I think there was one swear word in it that I've since eliminated I think after that I found I had a real enjoyment in doing the poetry and all these memories of when I grew up on cattle stations and memories of certain events came flooding back and so I was quite busy putting several of them into poems then I continued with a few poems but it was mostly just to share experiences with people or sometimes when you're in the cattle yard all day you break the monotony by letting loose with a poem. But after a while, I realised I had about 30 or 35 poems together. Yeah, I started to think, oh, maybe I could sort of put all these together into a book. So these days you're a regular at the Derby Bush Poets Breakfast and two years ago you published your first book, Johnny, James and Other Verses. I guess I wanted to share the poems and then some of the poems are quite, well, I'd like to think quite poignant. Um, there's one called Walmajari Jimmy, which through the eyes of one person describes 
sort of the history of the Aboriginal people. You know, he grew up on the desert and he became a, then he came in to live with the white people and became a really good stockman. But then in the 60s, and Aboriginals basically got asked to leave the stations because the equal pay came in and then they'd often have up to 200 people on the property and there might have only been 20 or 30 stockmen that were doing the work and, and ladies that helped with the cooking and other domestic chores. And the station couldn't afford to support everyone, so a lot of them went into reserves and then they became alcoholics. And what happened to me is I went away to university and these guys that have been my friends when I was a kid I came back and they were all alcoholics. And so I wanted to convey that to people. And I'm very sad about the plight of Aboriginal people and what and what happened. And I was just trying to describe to people what happened, but also trying to tell them how the cattle industry evolved and talk about some of the characters. And so when you link each poem up, it has a story before it that to describe what I was getting at in the poem. And if you put it all together, you sort of get a history of the Kimberleys and the history of the changing cattle industry over 40 years. And a history of what has happened to Aboriginal people during that period. And I wanted to share that with people. And I guess the Kimberleys is my home. And if you read the book, I like to think it gives you a bit more depth of understanding of what's happened in the Kimberleys over the last 40 years. People who know you have the utmost respect for your work ethic and say you're a huge asset to the northern beef industry. And I'm sure they're really happy to know that you're not thinking of retiring anytime soon. Well, that, well they can speak for that, Terry. I think there's a lot of hard workers in the cattle industry. I think the truck drivers are some of the hardest workers and some of the cattle buyers work pretty hard. So I'm certainly not going to say my work ethic's much different to theirs. But once you have a group of clients, you have to service them. And when the industry is in full swing and in the middle of the season, you can be pretty busy servicing everybody. And I guess it's become my life. Well, it obviously has become my life and my passion and retirement would mean saying goodbye to that to some extent, which is probably a, a hard pill to swallow. And I'm 70 next year, so I guess there's not a lot of working years left in me, so I'll probably have to swallow that hard pill. Despite that, you sound as though you feel most at home in the cattle yards. Yeah, I feel comfortable in cattle yards. I've been spent half my life in them, and you start putting cattle through a crush in front of me, and it, yeah, I feel right at home. It's a place where I spend a lot of time. Thanks very much for your time today, Dave. And thank you for arranging uh, for those magpies to just give us a little bit of a serenade in the background there. Ha! I didn't even, I didn't even well, hear them. Yeah. I, I'm no twitcher, but I think it was a magpie. <laughs> We're very lucky here. We had, we've got variegated fairy wrens, which are the most beautiful little birds. And we lived here for 10 years before we realised we had them. They're, they're sort of pretty secretive and, and we've got a lot of double-barred finches and every now and again you get zebra finches and, yeah, we get a whole host of birds. A, a sign of a healthy environment, Dave. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank <laughs> Thanks, Terry. Thank you very much for your time. No guessing as to why you were included in the Great Australians publication after the conversation we've had today. So thank you very much. Hey, Terry, thanks. Thanks so much. I hope some things I said made sense or of interest to some people and uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for lending your ears to the RM Williams Outback Great Australians podcast. The people we featured truly inspired us and made for a great yarn. 
which is why they were featured in our Great Australians publication. But you know what? Our bi-monthly RM Williams Outback magazine is chock full of people just like this, as well as so many of the amazing places that are all around our country, away from the bright lights of our cities. They're brought to life through the crafted words of our writers and the talent of our photographers and their stunning images. We'd love you to become a part of the Outback family by subscribing. Go to www.outbackmag.com.au or give us a ring on 02-9028-5428 during business hours and you'll get to deal with a real human at the end of the line who will sort out home delivery for you wherever you are. That number again, 02-9028-5428. RM Williams Outback magazine is also available in Good News Agents. Now's the time to upgrade to a new Ram truck. With unrivaled Hemi V8 power and a max brake towing capacity of up to four and a half tonnes. With quick delivery available right now, you can get behind the wheel of a new Ram faster than ever. Stocks are limited, so see your Ram dealer or visit ramtrucks.com.au today. Ram eats everything else for breakfast. Stock and delivery times vary by model and dealer. 